It's good to see you guys this morning. How are you feeling today? I I love this cool weather. It's clear outside, but it's cool. I love this time of year. And uh, I love that you're in church, that we're in church. All right. Take a seat. Donnie, no more meet and greet at the 830 service. Now, if you guys, uh, if you have your Bible with you this morning, open it up or turn it on. Go to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. And today we're going to pick up with verse 15. So that's John chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 15 this morning. And uh, also, just while you're uh, looking for that in your Bible, if you will uh, reach inside of your worship bulletin and find your message notes. Uh, If you're a first-time guest with us today, the message notes has the scripture passage on the front, a place for you to take some notes on the back, and the scripture passages will also be on the screens behind me today. Uh, if, if you guys have been here uh, the last few Sundays, at least, you know that we're in a series through the Gospel of John. And uh, literally, we're, we're walking through the Gospel of John uh, line by line. And I want to tell you why. Uh, I like to say this just from time to time, and maybe it's been a little while since you've heard me say it. So I, I want to tell you why. When we started Rocky River Church 17 years ago, we started it to be a church for people who didn't go to church, have never been to church, and people who have given up on church as usual. And I I, I don't want anyone to take this the wrong way because, you know, if you think about it, that description includes most everyone. Uh, but I also know that Rocky River Church, while, while we're a church for anyone, we're not a church for everyone. You know, because there is no church that's just for, for everyone. And, but anyway, it, it was to be a church for people who were, who were searching for truth. People who, who wanted to know what is really in the Bible. Like, what does the Bible really say? And, uh, you know, if, if uh, you were in my grandfather's generation, I'm 48, so you can sort of do the math on that. If you were in my grandfather's generation, uh, when he was a pastor, he, he could stand up on a Sunday morning and reasonably assume that most people had some idea about the Bible. They, they had a basic general knowledge of the, at least the major stories that are in the Bible. But today, in our generation, that's just not the case. You know, stories that, uh, that I grew up with in church, you know, stories about Jonah and the well. And every kid knew that when I was growing up. Practically every kid. But uh, most kids don't grow up today in church. So they don't grow up learning those stories. And that's not just true for the kids that are at each end of our building. That's true for... It's true for a lot of adults in the room. And so I just decided early on that instead of me getting up on stage and trying to woo you with um, a talk I would put together like a speech every week, that we would just open up the Bible and see what's in there. Because here's the reality. What is in the Bible is so much better than anything I could come up with or, or anything that any other human being could come up. No, no matter how 
great of, um, of a speaker or a speech writer they might be. The, the stories in the Bible, to me, are just fascinating. And I think, again, people want to know what, what's in here. And so, to me, it just makes sense that we would pick up an important book of the Bible, like the Gospel of John, and just walk through it and unpack it. And so part of the reason that I'm saying that this morning is uh, because if you are a first-time guest with us today, I just sort of want you to know where we're coming from. I want you to know why we open up this book every week and just go through it line by line. And I'll bet that if you are a first-time guest with us today, it's because you're looking for truth. Well, here it is. And you don't even have to take my word for it. You can take God's word for it because he's the one who's speaking to us through this. And if you're a person who's been a Christian for many years, there ought to be plenty for you to learn from this today as well. I, I can remember, and some of you have heard this just till you uh, are sick and tired of it. I, I know Donnie's sitting back in the sound booth there. He's heard me say it so many times. He could probably give this talk myself or himself. But I, I, remember, I remember sitting in, uh, in some of my religious studies classes when I was in undergraduate studies, and then especially when I was in graduate school at uh, the Divinity School at Gardner-Webb University, and, and, and hearing my professors teach and unpack the scriptures and thinking to myself, I've, I've been in church all my life. I, di- I didn't know these things. And I, I was just completely, completely turned on by what we were learning in the Bible, and I just kept thinking to myself, if, if I can get this excited about it, I, I'll bet you other people could too. If I've never heard this, I'll bet lots of other people haven't heard these things either. If I'm interested in it, I'll, I'll bet you that other people are too. So, anyway, that's a little bit of explanation about why we do what we do. And I don't know about you guys, but I am digging, digging into the Gospel of John. And uh, last week, if you were here, we unpacked uh, probably the, um, it has to be one of the greatest of all the miracles that Jesus did. It was a story of the loaves and fishes. Were, were you here last week? You remember the story? Amazing. Jesus and his disciples had gone into this area called Bethsaida. And uh, there was a crowd of people there. Jesus looked out on the crowd, saw that they, they were hungry All four Gospels record this miracle, and they all sort of see it through a different set of lenses. Kind of like if if you were a police officer and you were investigating a a crime scene, you wouldn't just ask one person what they saw, right? I mean, if there were four people there, you'd want to know what they all saw. So just like that, in the Gospels, you've got four different men who experience these miracles, and they're all telling it just a little bit different because they all saw it in different ways. But essentially, they tell the same story. When Jesus looked out on this crowd, a huge crowd of people, um, Mark says that he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw that they were hungry, they needed food, so he tested his disciples, really was testing their faith. And uh, he said, hey, how can we feed this crowd of people? Where, where?" How could we make this happen? And the disciples just looked at the crowd of people, imagined what little bit of food was there, decided that they couldn't possibly feed this crowd of people on their own. So uh, they just sort of passed it off and really wanted to pass the problem along. But Jesus 
took what was made available to him, a little boy's lunch, five loaves of bread, two little fish, which is really like sardines. He blessed it and fed a crowd of between five and maybe 15,000 people. It was a miracle. And if you look at it in John's gospel, he says at the very end of that experience, the people began to look at Jesus in a different way. They didn't look at him just as a rabbi or just as a priest, not just as a preacher. They started to look at him as a prophet. Now, here's the thing. None of these people had ever met a prophet before. The, the prophets in, in Israel, they hadn't spoken in four to five hundred years. So what they're saying about Jesus is there's something different about him. We need, we need him. We, we want to follow him. Uh, and they begin to pursue him. They begin to search for him. They begin to look for him. That's where we pick up this morning in verse 15. So the people are pursuing Jesus. Now Jesus, verse 15, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain to be by himself. Okay. This is going to get sticky. You ready to get sticky this morning? Right now, the people didn't have their own king. Their ruler was a Roman emperor. And the people... I'm taking a, I'm taking a little bit of liberty with this, so... Give me a little bit of room here. The people would think about and maybe even pray about perhaps every day that God would send them a king who could overthrow the Roman government. I mean, this is an oppressed group of people. They're living in their homeland, yet they, they don't have power over their lives. They're not living according to their own laws, their own rules. Someone else is making all of those decisions. I mean, imagine what it would be like here in the United States if some other government took over ours and then they began to impose their laws on us. And so now here we are, Americans living in America, yet we live under someone else's rule. I mean, think about what that would be like. Well, that's exactly what it was like for the children of Israel. So they're praying for a king. They're looking for a king. They've been promised a king. And so when Jesus came along and they experienced some of the things he was doing, they knew this wasn't an ordinary man. They, they didn't fully understand that this is God. And by any means, they, they don't know exactly who this is, but they know he's different. And he's not just a rabbi, he's not just a priest, he's not just another holy man, he's not a snake oil salesman. This guy's the real deal. He's something more, he's something special. And they begin to think, okay, maybe 
he's not only a prophet, maybe this is the Messiah. And so they came after Jesus. I don't want to make this look like some sort of mob scene, but maybe it was. At least Jesus knew what was coming. These people wanted to force him to be their king. And Jesus wasn't having any of it. It was not the right thing. And so Jesus gets away from the people. Now, it would have been a great temptation to stay there, wouldn't it? A couple of times already in the Gospel of John, we've seen where Jesus could have just stayed right where he was. You remember in Samaria, in John chapter 4, where the Samaritan woman has put her faith and trust in Christ and all of the people from her village, they came out to see Jesus and to hear from him and they believed that he is the Messiah of God. Jesus could have just stayed right there. He could have started a little small group that would have become a church and uh, everybody would have been good. He, he could have had a mega church right there in Samaria, but he didn't stay there because that was not God's will for his life. And so he moved on. It's the same sort of thing right here. Jesus could have just stayed right here in this little area. Uh, the, these people are excited about him. He, he could have just stayed right here and set up his little earthly kingdom there and... and uh, who, who knows, maybe someday even overthrow the Roman government. But he didn't stay there. He, he wouldn't allow them to make him king. And here's why. Because they didn't really know who Jesus was at that point. They didn't know what they were getting into. Now, I'm going to give you just a little preview of what's coming over the next couple of weeks. The same people that want to make him king right now will say to him in a couple of weeks in this literally in the same chapter what you're saying is too hard a message we're out of here and they'll walk away but they've been fed it's a miracle this guy seems to fit the bill this seems like someone they can follow he's a man of the people he has some power that obviously comes from God and so they at least right now, they want to make him king. But again, the problem is they don't know what kind of king Jesus has come to be. And they won't understand what kind of king Jesus came to be until Jesus goes to Jerusalem for the last time where he dies on the cross. See, Jesus didn't come to just feed them for a day. Now, they're coming for breakfast. We won't get there today. But they're, they're coming back to Jesus for breakfast. They're looking for a continental breakfast the next day. But Jesus didn't come to feed them for an evening or for a morning. He came to feed them forever. He didn't come to just give them bread that gives them life for a day or so. He came to give them eternal life. 
And so Jesus withdraws from these people. He goes away to be by himself because he is rejecting the call of the people and the purpose that they want to put over on top of his life. And that has something to say to you and me this morning. God has a purpose and a plan and a will for every person who's listening to me right now. Every person. But I want to tell you this, that other people have a will and a plan and a purpose that they would like to impose on your life. And so you have to decide whose plan, whose purpose, whose truth, whose way, whose path are you going to reject and whose are you going to embrace? Who are you going to obey? Are you going to obey your own thirst. Wasn't that a commercial a few years ago? Obey your thirst. Maybe a Sprite commercial or something like that. A lot of us obey our own appetite. And I can prove it. Your parents have a plan for your life. Maybe a professor in school. Your peers. They have a certain way that they want you to think. Certain things they want you to be a part of. Certain things that they want you to do. But God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He has a way he wants you to think. He has a direction that he wants you to go in. So you have to make a choice. And following Jesus is about making choices. Are you going to live by someone else's plan and purpose and will? Or are you going to live according to God's plan and purpose and will for your life? Because to follow him, you're going to have to reject others. I think there's another reason why Jesus withdraws to be by himself. And that is so he can put his disciples right in the middle of a terrible storm. Now, how does that make you feel about Jesus? We're going to read this in just a a moment. It's a terrible storm. If Jesus is God, and, and that's the purpose of John writing this gospel, is so that we would understand that Jesus is God and that we might believe on him and have life. John 20, 21. That's the purpose of the gospel. So if Jesus is God, he knows everything. He knows that a storm is coming Yet, if you look at all of the Gospels that talk about this same story, they say it was Jesus who sent his disciples into the boat, out onto the Sea of Galilee, into a storm that he knows is coming, and he's not in the boat with them. He's going to send them out on the water without him into this storm so that they can learn how to trust him. So let's get there. Let's... Let's look at these next few verses. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And again, Capernaum is Jesus' headquarters for his ministry when he was here on earth. By now, it was dark. Okay, Uh, I'm not a great storyteller, but I wish I was right now. Uh, John, in the Greek 
language is a better storyteller than he is here in this English translation. But I want you to sort of feel the mood here. It's scary. Darkness, and by by the way, we're starting a series this Wednesday night through the book of Revelation. Uh, Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.15. I can't can't wait for Wednesday night. Um, John just has a way of drawing these pictures, and you'll you'll see that in in the book of Revelation. But when when John talks about it being dark, he talks, He's trying to paint a picture of it being scary. And so um, imagine the world that these people lived in. There, there, there are no electric lights. There are no street lamps. No lights in your, in your homes. I mean, beyond candles. But when it's dark in that world, it's dark. And it's dark and it's evening and it's spooky. And John wants you to be able to feel that. How many of you like scary things? I did more when I was a kid, when I was a teenager growing up. I, the older I get, the older I get. And the, I've become sort of a, a scaredy cat. Now, uh, The Walking Dead comes on tonight. Any of you excited about that, just a show of hands? All right, a lot of liars in this room. Because I know you're just afraid to raise your hand in front of the preacher so you're going to watch, watch The Walking Dead. I, I, I plan to watch it, but I'm not sure if I can watch it tonight. Last uh, couple of days, me and uh, Donnie and Jason and uh, my son James were in Orlando for a church conference. And uh, it finished late, well, not too late, about 4 o'clock on Friday. So... Uh, Donnie and, and the other guys had planned to come back on, on Friday, but a Saturday scheduling event changed, and so we decided to stay overnight. And Donnie said, hey, how about if we go to Universal? He said, they have the Halloween horror night out there, and we could go do that. So I'm, I'm in the conference, and so I'm only sort of halfway listening, but I think, yeah, that'll, that'll be fun. And so I signed up for it. And once you sign up for it, you can't really go back. I don't want to disappoint Donnie and Jason. And I also sort of have in my mind that when we get to Universal, there's going to be a section that's scary. But then there's the other things too. So I'm thinking, I can handle a couple of scary things as long as they're still Despicable Me and the Minions and Shrek and the Simpsons. Yeah, let's, let's do this thing. Uh, it was not like that at all. This whole place was dark and spooky. Everything was a haunted house. Um, I was ready to leave like a half an hour into this thing. I, I acted brave. I laughed it off. Um... When I, when I got home yesterday morning, Karen said, wow, are you sick? You sound really hoarse. I said, Karen, I'll be honest with you. We went to this Halloween horror night thing at Universal last night, and I don't think I've ever screamed so much. <laughs> I said, I can't talk today because I, I, I screamed all day yesterday. We had this little pecking order when we were going through, like, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. 
Um, I can't even remember. I really don't want to remember them all, but uh, we also went through The Walking Dead. i tell you what I learned in The Walking Dead. I used to think, as I've watched some of these episodes, I used to think I'd be a survivor. I, I learned at The Walking Dead haunted house that I'll, I'll be dead in 15 minutes. Because at the end of that thing, I was literally just behind Donnie with my head down just walking through it. And that's probably how it would end up in some real zombie crisis. I'm head down. I'm a walker in 15 minutes. Scary. Now, they're not zombies and stuff like that here, but this is real scary. By now it was dark and Jesus had not joined them. John wants you to know that these guys are on their own. At least they think they are. They're, they're by themselves. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. The, the Sea of Galilee, which is really more like a big lake, it's 13 miles long, about 8 miles wide, 650 feet below sea level, only about 150 feet deep, which for a body of water like that, it's very shallow. Up in the mountains, you have cold winds. Down at the Sea of Galilee, it's um, uh, like warm tropical air. And when the cool winds come down from the mountains and meet the tropical air, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it, it can create hurricane-type winds and waves on what is normally a calm body of water. But just like that, you, you can be in a terrible, terrible storm. And that's what these guys are experiencing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Now, you might think, well, they saw Jesus walking on the boat, so, oh, they're thinking, yay, it's Jesus. But here's the problem. Mark says in his gospel, when he tells the story, that they looked out on the water and thought it was a ghost. So just, just think of this. There's not some boat light where they can flash it out. Not some big, strong flashlight, beam light where they can flash out to see what's coming to them. But every now and again, when the lightning crashes... They see something out on the water. Now listen, they knew Jesus was something. To this point, they've seen him turn water into wine. They saw him heal a little boy who was dying from a fever from 15 to 20 miles away. He's healed a, a paralytic, a man who's been paralyzed for 38 years. He fed... Five to 15,000 people with just a little boy's bag lunch. But walk on the water? I mean, they're not expecting that. Do you believe in ghosts? The disciples did. They thought it was a ghost. And so now they're terrified. Listen, to the point of panic. This is terribly frightening for these guys. But he said to them, not from a hundred yards away, that they wouldn't have been able to recognize it was Jesus from a hundred yards away. He is right up by the boat before they recognize that it's him. 
And so he speaks to them. It is I, don't be afraid. Um, That's probably one of the greatest commandments, if we can say it like that, one of the greatest commandments in the whole Bible. Don't be afraid. In fact, there are 365 of them, one for every day. Do not be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I want to talk a little bit about fear. And by the way, uh, Donnie, when I walked into my office this morning, there was a rubber snake on my floor about this long. Do you know anything about it? <laughs> Jason, you know anything about the snake? I want to have a meeting this afternoon <laughs> with you guys, Karen, Cricket, and anybody else that has a key that will fit in my office. Because I yelled one more time this morning when I walked into my office. I'm sure nobody's going to fess up to it, so I'm going to have to get some innocent people to make sure that I get the right person. But it's on. I want to talk a little bit about fear. And we're going to pick this up again next week as well. I think there are four main sources for our fear. I'm going to give you these pretty quick. You can write them down if they mean something to you. But here's the first one. It's the storm. The storm represents unexpected storms. Unexpected problems and circumstances that come into our lives. You know, here are these disciples. I mean, about half of them are fishermen. They've been in storms before. They know it can happen, but it's still unexpected. They're not expecting a storm. And now here, here they are right in the middle of one. This past week in, in my coaching group, uh, one of the guys I've been friends with for a number of years now, he, uh, um, he pulled me aside uh, at, at, during one of our breaks at, at our conference and said, um, hey man, I just wanted to ask you to pray for my dad. We found out this week that he has uh, pancreatic cancer. And they're pretty sure that it's moved into other major organs in his body. And we talked about it just a few minutes. And he said, Jimmy, my dad is the picture of health. He's in his early 60s. And uh, he's close to retirement. And we just, you know, now he has this cancer. And, and uh, if the Lord doesn't do a miracle, it's going to take his life o- over the next few months. And he said, this just kind of came out of blue. And sometimes problems come up like that, don't they? They just come out of nowhere. The next morning... A mutual friend of mine and Michael's came to me and said, I wanted to let you know that Michael's dad died last night. See, that's unexpected. Sometimes problems and circumstances, they come into our lives like that. That's what the storm represents. And then there are the waves. You know, on this normally very placid lake, um, when a storm like this comes up, 
it, it creates waves and white caps like you can't believe. I've seen pictures of hotels that are around the Sea of, of Galilee where some of these terrible storms come up. There's one in the 1950s where it literally just washed a hotel away that was right there on the water. Just am- amazing. And so sometimes not only are storms and problems and circumstances unexpected, but they, they're overwhelming. That's what the waves represent. O- overwhelming problems, overwhelming circumstances where you, you know that you are not person enough to handle this all on your own. And then there's the boat. I think the, the boat represents our own inadequacies to deal with some of the problems in our lives. L- listen, n- not, not only are some of our problems bigger than you and bigger than me, they're bigger than all of us together. I mean, some of the storms, some of the problems, some of the fears that we face in our lives, only Jesus can get us through those. And then the the last thing here is the loneliness of it all. The disciples are together. Yeah, there's a, a group of them in the boat. But they're in this boat by themselves. Jesus is not there. You ever been through something? Not a, not a fake something. Not, not, a, not a walking dead sort of thing at Universal Studios. But a real something. A real problem. Overwhelming. Frightening. And you can't find Jesus in it. You ever felt abandoned by God? I have. The disciples had been rowing for three or four miles. Matthew's gospel tells us that this is between three and six in the morning. No telling how long they've been caught up in the storm. They're probably thinking... We're going to die here. And where is Jesus? I don't know how your mind works, but this is how my mind works. Just a few hours ago, he was ministering to a bunch of people he don't even know. And I was up there doing the work with them. We, we left our jobs. We walked away from our nets. We, we're spending time away from our families. We're doing the grunt work. Jesus didn't pass this stuff out. We were passing it all out. We've been doing all the work. And, and now where is Jesus? See, as far as they know... He's still back hanging out with those other people. They don't know that he's gone to the mountain to be by himself. 
They know he's not there, and they assume he's with those other people. Either he doesn't know we're in this storm, he doesn't care that we're in this storm, but here we are, we're going through this, and we're all by ourselves. The thing about storms and problems is that they can, they can blind you from being able to see Jesus. While we're caught off guard by storms, while we sometimes feel hopeless in them, while we feel like they're bigger than us, and even while we feel like we're alone through them sometimes, even without God and that He doesn't care, He's always in the storm with us. He's there and He cares. And this is where we'll pick up next week. cliffhanger let's stand together and pray heavenly father right now I'd just like to to pray for all of us not, not every one of us is going through some sort of storm or some sort of crisis in our lives right now. But some of us are. Lord, some of us are facing things in our lives that are just bigger than we are, and they seem to be bigger than the people around us. It can be overwhelming. Sometimes the, the problems sort of come slow and we can see them while they're way off, but then, Lord, sometimes they just sneak up on us and unexpectedly come into our lives. There are folks facing those today. Lord, lots of uh, folks, whether they're in this service or they're in other services, they're a part of our church and they're going through things and they feel all alone. E- even though there are others around them, they feel like they're going through something by themselves, and maybe even feel like they've been abandoned, like you don't care and you're not paying attention. But Lord, as we're going to see next week, you have a purpose for these storms that come into our lives. You have a purpose for even at times sending us into storms. Like we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks, you can work inside of our fears to turn them around and turn our fear into faith. So, Lord, I, I guess my prayer right now is that you would help us in these storms to teach us faith. And at least for right now, help us to just be able to realize and hold on to this truth. You are there in our storms with us and you care about them. Jesus, it's in your great name that we pray. Amen.